So when Matt Woodley told me I was preaching at 11 p.m., I was so grateful because, as you can see, I'm very pregnant and I'm not great at late nights. So I was like, yes, 11, that's a, like a prime hour. And then I got his email saying, and here's your passage. It's about Melchizedek. <laughs> I was just like, what? And I literally had to call Canon Stephen and say, Canon Stephen, why is this one of our passages tonight? I don't understand. Please help. And then he promptly gave me a literally 45-minute sermon over the phone. I was frantically taking notes, and I couldn't keep up. So... I wish I could give you his sermon tonight, but I, I couldn't capture it all. He was speaking too quickly. So um, we'll just trust that he gives it in another year, some other time. So yeah. And then I, as I was reading this passage over and over again, and the staff will tell you, I was asking everyone with a seminary degree what they would say. I remembered this moment when I was in middle school at the prime of that kind of sense of self-righteousness. Um, listening to someone giving a sermon in, in our school chapel, and he said something in passing about how, how he had to wrestle with the passage and how hard it was for him to bring this sermon for it. And I remember thinking, oh, come on, all you have to do is point to Jesus. That's what the whole Bible's about, right? You can write a sermon about anything in the Bible. It's all about Jesus. And so I feel like this moment is my comeuppance <laughs> for that very prideful thought, because it is not easy to pass, preach from any old passage. So... So here we go. I'm excited, though. The Lord actually surprised me with what he brought forward out of this passage, and I'm hoping it's because he has something for all of you tonight, um, maybe a little bit different from what you'd expect from a passage about Melchizedek that's all of three verses long. So, so when I was six, my parents came back to the Wheaton area for a furlough. We were missionaries. My family were missionaries in France. And um, my mom wanted to get a master's degree at Wheaton College, so we came back for what was meant to be, I think, a two-year furlough. And in the middle of that furlough, a chronic health issue that I had kind of hit a peak, and we had a doctor diagnose that I actually had a life-threatening issue that was underlying this chronic health problem. And it was a huge setback or a difficulty for my family. They had to extend housing, they had to kind of figure out how the ministry would continue without them in France for another year and a half. It was, it was a life-shaking moment for my family. But of course, to this day, we are very grateful to the doctor who saw my symptoms and named the underlying core of the chronic problem, right? And he rescued my life. And I think all of us in this room have a similar story or know of someone who has a similar story who's had some sort of health struggle and a doctor helped them name what, what the source of the problem was and, and brought them new hope and new life. Um, unfortunately, we all have stories of doctors who fail to catch illnesses, and that brings great grief. But as I was wrestling with tonight's passage about Melchizedek and specifically this image of the priesthood that's brought forward so richly both in Genesis and then in Psalms and then very extensively in Hebrews, the image that started forming in my mind was that of a priest as a doctor. So like doctors, priests invite us into healing, specifically healing from our broken relationship with God. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, they minister God's diagnosis of sin as something that's killing us, right? I mean, the fall reading that we saw this afternoon in the Light and Lessons just showed that so beautifully, the way that sin tears us apart from God and makes us sick. And so priests name that and then delight in offering the healing, the healing medicine of Jesus' presence as the only antidote to that illness. And now, of course, 
Odds are you all have heard in some point in your walk, if you're a believer, about Jesus being our ultimate high priest, right? He's our prophet, priest, and king, who fulfilled once in all the Old Testament's covenant need for a mediator between our sinfulness and God's holiness. In fact, you could say God, Jesus, is both the doctor naming the problem, the illness, and then the medicine who heals us from that illness. But before we get to Jesus, we have this strange character called Melchizedek. He's also a priest. He's actually the first priest ever mentioned of the Most High God in the Bible. And I think that if we kind of hone in on him in these brief three verses, we'll see that movement of diagnosis and healing offered. And then we'll find ourselves in a place of what it means for us to be priests as the priesthood of all believers. So let's look briefly at Melchizedek in this passage in Genesis. It's really short, three verses. We're told that he appears to Abraham, Abram, sorry, it's not Abraham yet, it's Abram. At this interesting moment in Abram's life, Abram's a new believer, right? He's, he's not known this most high God very long. He's obeying what God is asking him to do so far. He's just come back from a successful uh, war victory where he's rescued his nephew Lot, who was kidnapped in this kind of turf war that's happening around him. And Abram is in, on his way to kind of negotiate with the king of Sodom, whose goods he's going to return. He, and when he rescued Lot, he happened to get all of the king of Sodom's goods back for him as well. And then Melchizedek shows up on the scene. He's, they meet in the king's valley, and we're told Melchizedek is the king of Salem and a priest of the God Most High. His name actually means king of righteousness, and Salem is the city that we will come to know as Jerusalem, the city of peace. And as we see him entering this scene, I think what he's doing, in a way, is bringing God's diagnosis to Abraham of Abram needing some help in his relationship with God. So he does that in two ways. First of all, he says, hey, there's a really practical need here. You're hungry. You were just in battle. Let me feed you bread and wine. And of course, as Anglicans, we can't help but read that and immediately think of the Eucharist. And then secondly, Melchizedek appears to Abram and says, you know, I'm a believer in the Most High God, too. In the Bible at this point, he's the only other person we know of that worships the Most High God. And God has sent me to you to encourage you in the promise that God has placed on your life. You need encouragement, and I'm here to bring that to you through this blessing I'm about to give you. And you can imagine Abraham struggling, Abram struggling with temptations at this point to both two sides. One, he's just had a huge battle victory, so he's probably feeling pretty good about himself. He took 200 men and defeated a local king, rescued his nephew, and is now coming back to another king to say, like, hey, here's your goods back. So there's that kind of temptation of relying on his own power and strength rather than this God he's getting to know. But there's also the temptation to doubt the God, this most high God who keeps telling him he's going to be a king over this massive nation, and yet Abram has no children to help implement that nation. So there's temptations hitting Abram here. And Melchizedek meets him there and says, no, don't give in to those temptations. You worship a most high God. And um, he just intercedes like a doctor, kind of naming what the temptations are and offering blessing as an antidote. He also, I mean, I love his blessing. He affirms that it was God who did the providing in Abram's success, and he, he reminds him, hey, don't forget, you worship the Most High God. And so, of course, we hear this and we think forward to Jesus. And the story of the Old Testament is 
of God calling the Israelites to be faithful to him and them failing over and over again and the rift that is created because of that between the holiness of God and the brokenness of man. And the system, the temporary system that's created is that of a priest, right, offering blood sacrifices as atonement for the sins of the people. But then the story of the Gospels is God's recognition that that system was failing, right? As Romans 3.23 puts it, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the system of the priesthood, I think Matt put it this way on Friday, is just a band-aid on that fact. So God in his mercy knew from the very beginning, before the Levitical priesthood is even established, that we would need Jesus, that we would need a priest to come in and rescue us from this sin, this, um, this, this sin that is killing us. He diagnosed it from the beginning. And that's one of the reasons that this person of Melchizedek is such a gift to us. Right at the beginning of Genesis, before God established that priesthood, he brings forward a priest who foreshadows Jesus' ultimate priesthood. And if you look at Melchizedek, he, he plays that dual role like Jesus does, king and priest, diagnoser and antidote offer at the same time. Just by being there as a king of righteousness and peace, Melchizedek images to Abraham what God is going to offer us one day in Jesus. He feeds Abraham spiritually and physically, bread and wine, and giving him that prescription of don't forget, you belong to the Most High God. Keep placing your faith in him and do not fear. And we see the impact this has on Abraham. He immediately tithes to him. He just gives generously to this strange priest who's come to him out of nowhere because he recognizes the holiness of God and providing for his needs in that moment. And Jesus, of course, has diagnosed our problem. Sin, it's fatal. <laughs> it kills us. And in, in seeing that core problem, he does that radical thing that we celebrated last night on the cross. He becomes both the doctor and the medicine. He sees us dying, and he offers himself as the antidote to our illness. He is the priest and the sacrifice at the same time, and therefore nullified the need for blood sacrifices forever. The book of Hebrews actually is a beautiful exposition of Jesus as priest, and one of the ways it points out that Jesus and Melchizedek are similar is that just as Melchizedek was superior to Abraham because Abraham received his blessing and then tithed back to him, Jesus is the ultimate superior priest, superior to all of those priests before him who would offer sacrifices both for their own sins and the sins of everyone. Jesus was perfect, the penultimate high priest. And that's what we celebrated last night at Good Friday, isn't it? That Jesus is the medicine, the perfect medicine that we all need to enter into the broken places of sin in our lives. So we have these two beautiful priests, Melchizedek as this image at the very beginning of the Bible, and now Jesus, of course, as our ultimate high priest. And we get to live into that reality. We have a doctor who you don't need to make an appointment with, wait a week, and then only get 15 minutes of a very brief superficial conversation. Instead, the book of Hebrews tells us the whole Jesus lives to intercede for us ceaselessly in the throne of God. His whole he, we need no mediator between ourselves and God. Jesus is just waiting for us to call upon him and to provide for us in our time of need. And I was thinking about this, and it struck me that my husband Rob's father is a doctor. So Rob grew up never once needing to make an appointment with a doctor because all he had to do was turn at the dinner table and say, Hey, Dad, I've got an ache here. What do you think it is? And his dad would tell him, and then they would either deal with it or not, as the case may be with like a broken leg that took three days to take care of. But... 
he had access to a doctor all the time. And it was a holistic relationship, too, because, of course, as his father, Rob's dad wanted to make sure that his spirit was healthy and his body was healthy, and they exercised and ate well. So it wasn't just a moment of coming in when you're sick, but also just having a holistic relationship. And this is exactly what Jesus wants to have with us. He wants us to be healthy and thriving, as well as healed from that place of sin. And so, like, okay, great. We have access to this high priest. He's available to us all the time. And this, I think, is where we get to, to the point of the priesthood of all believers. And in 1 Peter, it says, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And in Romans, we're called to be that living sacrifice to embody the way Jesus modeled spiritual sacrifice. And I have to tell you that I've always struggled with what it means to be a priest myself. And the priesthood of all believers, it's an idea I've rather kind of set aside and makes me a little uncomfortable. And I'm, it's kind of nice to have like those ordained guys over there who do all that hard work of priesthood. But the Bible is really clear that we are all called to that. Even in our baptismal covenant, there's a moment where you're anointed with oil as someone entering into the holy priesthood of Jesus. And the good news is that we don't need a medical degree or a theological degree to be that priest. That's actually one of the points that the book of Hebrews makes about Melchizedek. He doesn't have a special genealogy like most of the people in the Old Testament do to give them the right to do what they're doing. He's not even in the Levitical priesthood because he precedes it so much. Jesus, as well, came from outside of that Levitical line to save us. We don't have to have the right credentials to be priests. And it's, it's a beautiful gift when we have those folks like Bishop Stewart or Father Brett or Father Stephen who are vocational priests. We need them to embody that sacrificial role of priest for us, to model it. But you and I, friends, are just as fully called to be those priests in the world around us as they are. Having Jesus as our priests means by the Holy Spirit, we have constant access to him, to that perfect doctor. And when we live in his word and when we live in his bride, the church, and we live in a life of prayer, we're filled with his spirit, and we can step out as priests to the broken world around us. So, once again, okay, we're called to be priests, but how? How do we do this? It's kind of scary and overwhelming. And I think the how could, you could play it out in a lot of different ways, but it struck me that one of the cores of being a priest is accepting the diagnosis that God has given us. We don't have to come up with it on our own. God has already named it for us, which is the, the depth of horror of sin and broken relationship with our Creator. So if you can't accept that, then the medicine that you're going to offer is not going to be correct. It's, it's not going to be effective. We don't gloss over sin. We let it break our hearts like it broke Jesus's. We live in that Good Friday place of just the horror of the children of a creator not being in relationship with him in a good and right way. So I would encourage you, just as a start, to ask Jesus to let your heart break like his does when you see sin, to let him name it around you in our culture, in your own life, and in the lives of others. And I, I have to just add, this is not licensed to walk around naming other people's sin. I don't think that's what it means to be priests, is to walk up to someone and say, hey, I've noticed you're like a, you lie a lot, or I think you have a sin of pride, and I really want to name that for you. That's not what it means to diagnose like Jesus diagnoses. So I just want to get that out there. 
Only Jesus can bring the conviction by his Holy Spirit. And I think he can use us as instruments in that, but that is up to him to lead us, not up to us to step out and gleefully name the sins of those around us. But once we reach that place of brokenhearted compassion, um, seeing the way that sin breaks us and those around us, then we get the joy, the privilege, the delight of offering the only perfect medicine that this world has to offer, Jesus himself. I mean, what joy. Again, it's, it's Good Friday. It's that moment when you, you look at the depravity of your own sin and you realize your desperate need for Jesus and then he's faithful to show up and heal you. What joy. And this, this is the, where we want to evangelize. This is why there are evangelists in the world, right? It's like, I know this amazing doctor. You've got to meet him. And uh, I think this is where we're also called to live lives of sacrifice, where you lay yourself down for this beautiful high priest that we serve and let him use you for, to be that vehicle of healing in our broken world. But since this is a sermon about Melchizedek, I want to finish up by coming full circle back to him. And notice the main tool that Melchizedek used. The main tool he uses is blessing. He blesses Abraham. Actually, he names that Abraham is, Abram is blessed by God. And then he reminds him that all of his success and all of the good things that are happening to him are because the God has delivered it to him. And I think blessing is actually a very radical way we can engage with our broken world and that we can live out our priesthood on a daily level. And I don't mean like blessing as in praying for earthly blessings like, you know, success or money, but instead invoking the blessing that God gave the Levitical priests in Numbers. What was the very first thing he told priests? He said, this is how you bless people. You say, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face to you and give you peace. In other words, when you bless someone, you're invoking the presence of God into their, their lives. It's, it's actually quite simple. And that's something all of us can do, no matter what your walk in life, no matter what your vocation, no matter what your education is, all of us can invoke the presence of the living God into the lives of those around us. We can call upon the Lord to be present to someone whether they know him or not. We can just live in that place of, of handing out blessing to those around us. And this can transform the way we interact with others. I, I've lived that even just in this week. My children were on spring break, and because it was Holy Week, we didn't go away or go do anything dramatic. We tried to lay low, but laying low with a six-year-old and a four-year-old in a two-bedroom apartment is, like, not relaxing at all, <laughs> at all. And so by Wednesday, I just was at my wit's end with my children, especially as my daughter has been singing the same song all week long. It's over and over and over again. <laughs> And I, I just had this moment as I was like trying to write my sermon and feeling really irritated at her. I would just be like, oh my goodness, I'm writing this sermon about being a blessing and I just snapped my daughter's head off. But it was just, it, it, and I thought, okay, what would it look like to be a blessing to my daughter? And I was able to look her in the face and, and have that moment of, of bonding and interaction with her and love her that I, I wasn't going to have had if I hadn't thought about my vocation as a mother in that way in that moment. So I just want to encourage you to think about two ways of blessing, just to start the people in your life. There's actually the really simple way of verbally blessing the people in your life when it's appropriate. So maybe you know someone who's going through a hard time, and they're discouraged, and they need you to pray a blessing over them of the Lord's presence in that place of darkness and difficulty. 
Or if you're like my husband and you work in a non-Christian environment and you can, you're not in a place to kind of explicitly bless people, you can do it in an embodied way. You can live out the fruits of the Spirit, peace, patience, joy, love, kindness, and model that what, who Jesus is to the people around you. You can bless them by being Jesus, being the medicine that they need in their lives and they don't even know yet. And that, I think, is the profound gift of being a believer. We get to be Jesus, our great high priest. We get to, to embody him to the broken world around us. And it doesn't have to be by our own strength because he's given us the Holy Spirit as our helper to, to give us the strength and the discernment and the courage to step out to be that blessing, to be those priests. So tonight, I just want to encourage you all to think through both, yes, of course, how, where it is in your life that you need Jesus as your priest and doctor to touch your broken places, but also to think outward, to think of where he's sending you, to who he's sending you to, who you are called to be a blessing to in this time of your life, and then to ask the Lord to give you the strength to be that blessing, to be that Melchizedek um, to the people in your life. So we're going to enter a time of worship. Um, and just as you worship, ask the Lord to speak to your heart tonight um, who and how to be a priest um, in the priesthood of all believers. Amen.